What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey, and we're going to start our off-season previews of every team in the league for the 2016-17 season with the Atlantic Division. So we're talking about the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, the Toronto Raptors, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Brooklyn Nets. We're going to work our way from the bottom to the top, eventually predicting the team that we think is going to come out in the best shape from this division, and we're going to start with Andy at the bottom. Yeah, I'm going to start it off with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I know that the Sixers only won 10 games last year. They're still going to be super young. But I <laughs> I don't think there's another roster in the NBA that's as much as a sort of hodgepodge of below average to mediocre players uh, than the Brooklyn Nets. They're, who's their primetime guy besides Brooke Lopez? Jeremy Lin? I mean... Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. It is just a very weird collection of players. And I, I'm excited for this team um, to be kind of out of the Billy King era. And I think they're making some moves in the right direction. But it's going to take a couple of years to undo all the damage that's been done. Who, who are you most interested to watch off this team? We were talking about this pre, pre-recording. And we couldn't – I said that the Nets might have been fun to watch if they got Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson – but I look forward to watching Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, even though you guys don't. Um, is Karis LeVert going to be exciting on this team? Like, they just, even for a team that seems like it's heading in the right direction, they're not the least bit polarizing. Yeah, LeVert is one of the reasons that I kind of like their offseason, because they had such limited options with draft picks going to the Celtics and, you know, without any sort of free agency appeal, that they, they took these gambles on the, the high-ceiling, low-floor players like LeVert. Um, I think that's what they have to do right now. It gives them a little bit of upside. I mean, you can even look at somebody like Anthony Bennett, who has completely flamed out since he was the number one pick. But he was the number one pick, and and maybe this is finally the location that's going to unlock at least some of his talent. So it's hard to get excited about them, but at least they're doing semi-good things. Brooke Lopez is gone by the trade deadline, right? Like, there's no why would like he's going to be a free agent? And oh no, he won't be. Never mind. I thought he had a player option. 
I mean, even if he was going to be, what team is going to, what contender is going yeah. to want to acquire a traditional big like that, that was midway question. through the season? I think even if they want to get rid of him, I, I don't know who's going to Charlotte deck to make room. <laughs> Charlotte's been like our, our pet destination for every trade well, lately, Dan. <laughs> Brooke Lopez actually started shooting threes at some point. So if they wanted him to, they could try and just, you know, if they're not sold on paying Cody Zeller long term, you have Brooke Lopez and Frank Kamithke, um at the five, and you try and get them to just chuck threes with league average consistency. That would be fun. Here's the real question, though. How, how does Charlotte make Greg Monroe... Brooke Lopez and Jaleel Okafor all work at the same position. They're like the only team in the NBA that's that we think might be able to take on these big old school centers, right? Right. And I, well, some of, I guess some of the teams took themselves out of the running to do that over the, like there were more teams. I think you could have made a case for the bulls, but then they trade for Robin Lopez um, I think you could have made a case for the Celtics, but they signed Al Horford. Uh, you probably even could have made a case for the Raptors behind Jonas Valanciunas, but they went and got Jared Sullinger still. So did uh, uh, yeah. did Brooke and Robin play together like on the floor at the same time at Stanford, or did Robin back Brooke up? Ooh, I do not remember. They the- definitely had to share some time just for comedic value. I'm sure they did, but I don't think that that was like their primary lineup Chicago there. Chicago should just buck the trend and go super huge and play the Lopez brothers. Uh, go the well, the Magic. They could trade for Brooke, and then you can start Jeff Green at point guard, Brooke Lopez at shooting guard, uh, <laughs> Bismack Biombo at small forward, Nikola Vucevic power forward, Serge Ibaka at center. You could switch those around, maybe flop Biombo with Ibaka. I kind of like playing Brooke Lopez with Anthony Davis in New Orleans. That would be hella fun. Way better that than is kind of interesting. Than Greg Monroe and Anthony Davis, which would be like that might even be worse than Omer Ashik and Anthony Davis, <laughs> if we're being honest. It's tough to reach that level, I think, but you might I mean, you might be onto something there. Like at least you could tell Ashik, look, stand in the middle, only move so you avoid defensive three second violations and he'll protect the rim better than Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe is not going to give you anything there, and he'll clog space on the offensive side just like Omer Ashik does. So give me Ashik next to Davis over Greg Monroe. Our Atlantic Division preview is off to a <laughs> roaring start. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't spent much time on the Nets. Um, I, well, I think, I do think that's probably the most appropriate preview of the Nets. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, what about Bojan Bogdanovic? Can we take a second on him? This guy is leading the Olympic tournament in scoring. Does that mean anything? It might, but have the Nets have the Nets given him a legit opportunity yet? Not really. Yeah, so I'm I'm all for ISO Bohan next year. Let's get it done. I mean, he's averaging 25 points a game. That's pretty solid. <laughs> the problem is, is that he doesn't do like maybe he'll hustle on defense, but he's not a good passer. Like he, yeah. like you literally look. Uh, the, the Croatia's job is just to be like. Hey, we need to get Bohan get and Iso on the weak side. It's yeah. just out of the way. <laughs> and yet, he might much still be insanity. the second best passer on the Brooklyn roster. Yeah. I no. Mean, no, I mean, we I'm can... exaggerating, obviously. Like, Rivas Vasquez can actually pass the ball. Randy Foy can actually pass the ball. But And isn't Anthony Bennett basically a rich man's Dario Sarek? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank we'll you go for with that. Clarifying that, that, joke yeah. did, that joke didn't land. <laughs> um, one thing that's kind of interesting to me, when they signed 
Gravis Vasquez, I thought about playing him at the two with Jeremy Lin. I think it's like a dumpster fire defensively, but they could <laughs> that could be kind of a fun offensive lineup. You have two playmakers, maybe setting it up for Bojan at the three, and then I don't know Booker and Lopez four and five. Maybe you should go super small and throw Sean Kilpatrick at the three in that lineup with Bohan at the four and Lopez at the yeah, five. And then that's you, fun too. you play no defense. <laughs> I, I mean, they're going to have to be super that, creative. But go ahead, Adam. I think my favorite lineup for them is like Jeremy Lin, Sean Kilpatrick, Bogdanovich, Hollis Jefferson at the four, and yeah. Brooke Lopez at the five. I agree. Yeah, 100%. Roto World has uh, Hollis Jefferson at the two. I don't, I don't see him spending much time there. I don't it's think he has a three, position. Four. Yeah, and that's probably tr- like that's true of a lot of guys these days, which I like. You you don't necessarily have to have a position. Um, side note: Kevin Durant was listed as a shooting guard on FIBA, or <laughs> listed as a guard since they separated into backcourt, frontcourt. I found that funny. Anyway, I would I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Isaiah Whitehead instead of Jeremy Lin in that lineup either, Adam. I think that might be super fun. It could be. I just I think Lin is Lin has a chance to actually be their best player this year. Well, I don't. That's not. <laughs> I, it's not saying that much, but I mean, but he was really true. good. He was yeah. good in Charlotte last year. I think he should have gotten a lot more Sixth Man of the Year hype. I'm pretty curious um, to see what he, he's like as the guy again. Um, did I ever share the crazy Jeremy Lin shat up uh, shat? Wow, stat that I found <laughs> while I was working on something. He was one of three guys to score on at least 58% and pass on at least 35% of his drives while making more than 300 drives. And his two statistical peers were Kwai and Chris Paul. That's pretty good company. Yeah, decent company. I guess. They're, <laughs> they're okay. He's still good at getting to the basket, that's for sure. Andy's kind of curtailed the turnover issues, which is never a negative. Yeah, that's nice. I'm wondering if he'll be able to do that on this Brooklyn roster, no. though. Probably not. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that could go through the roof. So, how many, what do we think this? What do we think the ceiling is for this team in terms of wins? Twenty-five. Is that too ambitious? Oh, generous. Yeah, I was going to say. What did they win last year? Are they worse than last year when they won twenty-one? I guess the question is. Yes, I think so. They don't have Thad Young. They don't. Jared Jack. Jared Jack. Good while he was healthy. Yeah. I think <laughs> they don't have Jared worse. Jack. Is that what you just said? <laughs> was that your <laughs> That's a problem. Well, that's again, the kind that's, of yeah, that's like a good indicator of what we're talking about with the Nets. I think, I think this is like the they, lowest ceiling. Should I... be able. Go ahead. I, I don't know. I have a tough time. I'm not even convinced, as we already talked about, that they're going to be worse than the Sixers. So I would think they they should be able to come close to matching last year's 21 win total. What are you guys going to go? 15? That seems a little ridiculous. I was that seems say... low. I was going to say 20, and I think that's – Yeah, like, I was as well. Of all the team previews we did last year, I don't think I ever went that low for like an absolute ceiling. I just – I don't see – I'm going to go 25. <laughs> it's so hard for me to imagine this collection of guys doing much more than that. It's just it's I'll a say 25 bunch. for the absolute ceiling. Adam, you got 20? Yeah, I'll, I'll take 20 as well. Um. So I guess that kind of paves the way for us to move into the Sixers, which Dan... Wait, are we sure that they're not going to be better than the Knicks? <laughs> uh, yeah. they, I think my ceiling for the Sixers is like 60 wins. That seems low. Yeah. 
Oh wait, you're saying you think the Sixers will be better than the Knicks? This is uh, this is an interesting development from Dan. I I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I, I guess that didn't. Happen. Oh. <laughs> um, you were the one before the show, though, who thought that maybe uh, the Sixers might still be worse than the Nets. Well, I just think you're going to have problems scoring when you have to play Dario Saric or Ben Simmons at point guard and shooting guard for stints during the season. My comeback to everything is going to be, did you watch Ben Simmons during Summer League? Okay, that's Summer League. <laughs> That'll be my response every time you say that. We're just going to go in circles here. But, because Summer League is totally indicative of NBA success. Why don't we ask Josh Selby? <laughs> Where is Josh Selby? Yeah, that's exactly. a good question. Um, what do, I, I actually really like the idea of that 6-10 and up lineup with, with Simmons and Sarich at the 1 and 2. Like I, I think that could be... Are you a drinker? <laughs> I am not, actually. Um I just I feel like it's so interesting. I don't know. I obviously I understand the floor spacing issues that a lot of people have brought up. They they might lack a lot of shooting, but I think it's they can do such creative things with like pick and rolls, um, and just getting out in transition. I I think it's you know they're not going to be a great offensive team, but I don't think I don't think they're going to struggle to score as much as Brooklyn will. Really? Well, I guess because you have Ben Simmons, but like. You don't know what Joel Embiid is going to be on offense yet. He looks no, like he's going to be really true. good, but let's see, let's see how he holds up. Jaleel Okafor is only good on offense and volume. He's not going to be able to enjoy the same type of volume this year. Nerlens Noel is never going to develop as a pick-and-roll rim runner until they give him space. I think the key to this team really surprising people or making market an improvement is to play the lineups that, that pose the most versatility, but I don't know how you do that when you have guys like Covington – Simmons and Sarek, who should all see time at the four, but you have to account for having Embiid, Okafor, and Noel in the same rotation. And let's like not that. forget about Jeremy Grant, who is legitimately great on the defensive end. Or Rachon Holmes. Like Yeah, they have a lot like, of what, they have a lot of stuff to work out, but I I mean this is like so cliche, but it's one of those things that's a good problem to have, right? It's a good problem to have for them, but I'm just saying, does is that like what convinces you that they're going to be better than the Nets then I feel like they have you can look at the Nets and at least see a a clear direction with the rotation I would rather have a lot of talent and try to figure out how to play it than have no talent at all think about how much more talented Simmons and Okafor even a a guy like Jared Bayless like he's a good shooter who's going to help them space out the court that's a huge piece for them I'm I'm not saying go ahead Andy before I yell at you guys no it was fine I um I, I was just gonna basically say the same thing that Adam did. The just the talent gap between Ben Simmons and anyone on Brooklyn, or Joel Embiid and anyone on Brooklyn, or maybe even Dario Saric, uh, or Nerlens. Yeah, like there are some really really good players on this team. They just have to figure out how to play. And that that's my issue. If you want to, who has more talent? The Sixers by far. Finding a way to play all that talent, to manage all that talent, is going to be exponentially harder than it is in Brooklyn. Those pieces that they have, many of them still fit together, whereas so many of the Sixers' pieces don't fit. So yes, they have the talent where you could envision them being a lot better than we expect, but I actually think they have a lower floor than Brooklyn just because of how incongruent their roster is built right now. I'm not, I'm not talking from a talent level. I'm just talking from 
a tactical perspective. I guess the way I look at it is if you forget that Embiid exists and you forget that Okafor exists, a lineup like Jared Bayless, Sergio Rodriguez, Covington, Simmons, and Noel is better than anything Brooklyn can put together. Yeah, that's a good So if you're vibe. piecing together individual lineups like that, there might be chemistry concerns, there might be playing time concerns, but what you're going to put on the court at one time, unless you're really trying to force the issue with playing Noel Embiid and Okafor all together, is going to be a superior product. What makes you think that they're not going to try and force the, force the issue? I have no they idea. Did, they did it last year. Well, that's my, I, I guess that's Brett Brown is competent. Brett Brown is competent, but he also, you can't, like, if you, you need to get rid of some of these guys, you're not going to drum up Noel's or Okafor's trade value by not playing them. So, like, I get what you're saying, and hopefully he'll, he'll have time to experiment with these lineups, but I just feel like the sample sizes are going to be so all over the place, and they're going to have to deal with a lack of continuity all season because not only do they have to account for their immediate development, but they can't, realistically, at least, they're not going to bench some of these guys. It's just not going to happen. The difference this year is that Brown is no longer operating under a trust the process system where he can afford to, you know, play all the young guys. Like for the first time, there's enough talent that he might legitimately feel like he needs to start winning games, which means he's going to make more advantageous lineup decisions for winning. I also, if he does that, then I would, I might agree with you guys. I just don't think while, – while I think he could if he wanted to. I'm not even commenting on his competency as a coach. I just don't think he realistically can because of just how ridiculously crammed this roster is in the front court. Like you have guys that need playing time. And this goes beyond just the, the conventional front court issues like Hollis Thompson, Richon Holmes, Robert Covington. you got to balance minutes for all of these guys. And it just seems too tough for them to handle, I think. The Sixers, while they might show more flashes than they have in the past, I just don't think they're going to be as good as people are hoping. I don't think they'll be good either. I just think that like, even if he does have half the season to experiment and figure out lineups, I still think he's going to be able to piece together more than 20 wins. I, I think I, – I don't even know what I would put their win total at right now, but I don't think they're going to be better than the Nets. That, that would be my gut feeling, and – I hope you guys were able to come back and say I was wrong. But I do think if I was am wrong, it'll probably be because they made a bunch of midseason moves to really decongest the depth chart. I just don't think as currently built, they're going to be able to be better than the Nets. I think as currently built, they're a 25-win team. That's what I, th- I was going to say, 25 too. Like 25 I don't to think they're substantially better than Brooklyn, but I think that you have enough young talent on this roster that you're going to be getting – somebody playing really well each night and that's a lot of times enough to win against the lower level of the league i would put their absolute ceiling at 25 as well but i also have the nets there so i don't that again that's just where the crux of my argument lies i have a ben simmons question for you guys um and i i have a few answers to this that i like what's your favorite comp for him oh that's such a hard one just because he's, it, it's got to be like a weird version of Magic. That's not saying he's as good as Magic or that he's going to have the same career as Magic. But in terms of the way he plays, that's definitely what I'm seeing. Yeah, I can see that in terms of just like on-court stuff for sure. But let's make sure that I'm clarifying yeah. here that I'm not <laughs> saying that Ben Simmons is Magic Johnson. Definitely, I didn't take um, it that way. I like the... Uh, I guess it would probably be the 2014-2015 version of Draymond Green 
I like that comparison. When he wasn't still too great at making yeah. jumpers, I know he improved a bunch last year, so you hope he can get on his current level. But I think that uh, just looking at his positional versatility, what he does defensively, how he plays offensively, uh, I get the magic ones, but I just those are they, those seem really ambitious. But again, so my apples is orange at this point. Throughout his season at LSU, I was big on the Draymond one. I like I said a lot that he was a taller Draymond, and I also kind of like the Lamar Odom comparisons. But somebody at summer league said a six ten Jason Kidd, which was really hmm. interesting to me. Uh, Kidd was too good on defense. Yeah, he was. I mean. That's a big difference for sure, but that's that goes back to a lot of the Draymond comparison too, though. Is he that passive as a scorer too? Like I, I he was, was in always... summer league. I mean, he scored a lot at LSU, but watching him play in summer league, it was like pass, 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 pass all the time. Like that was one thing what, I kept thinking, man. Try to score every once in a while. What about an early career version of Scottie Pippen who doesn't care about defense? <laughs> now we're getting super specific. I don't mind that one either, though. Just Do we think he's and in this scenario, Nerlens is Michael Jordan? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Do we think he's going to be able to develop a jump shot? Like we always talk about guys that can, but I would argue that for everyone who does, like there's just a bunch more who don't. Yeah, I think he can. Obviously, I mean, will he? Is my yeah. question. Um, yes. Like he needs. I someone, yes. especially someone who's going to play point or small forward, he needs to be able. Yeah, he's got to be able to, to shoot. shoot a little bit. So this question is specifically directed towards Andy, kind of spinning off what Dan just said. Since you've played far more basketball at a higher level than us, and you've been around a lot more coaching than us, do you think that there's ever a player who can't develop a jumper? Um. I think it's super rare. I, I have played with one guy who the only thing he could do was like a five-foot floater. Um, and, I mean, coaches worked with him on his shot a lot and tried to switch the hand that he used on free throws. And um, But I think that's super rare. And with with Simmons, when I watch his shot, I hear a lot of people say that his form is broken, but I don't think it's broken to the point that it's like, unfixable if you look at a great shooter like reggie miller he had one of the ugliest shots ever and he's one of the greatest shooters ever so kevin martin yeah kevin martin's a great example too sean marion was a decent shooter he wasn't great but he he put it in the hole sometimes with one of the ugliest shots i've ever seen so there is a huge difference between can and will and and i think that was good that dan clarified that so um yes i think it's really rare to answer your question yeah my automatic reaction to, to your question, Dan, it's just that if we're talking about a young player, I'm almost always going to think that they can develop a jumper. Not necessarily that they will, but if you're willing to put in enough work, if you're willing to completely start over with your mechanics, then yeah, you probably could develop some sort of jumper. I question whether he will just because of the situation he's starting off in. Like he might not, ha- he's not going to have the space or the requisite time to really work on it um, in the game. And until the Sixers really. Again, loosen up that depth chart. I don't. I honestly don't think he'll have a puncher's chance of being an above-average shooter for a while. But I think that kind of goes back to the Jason Kidd comparison because he was a he, his shooting percentages were awful basically until he got to Dallas, or maybe like a year or two before that. If you go, I mean, he's got some seasons where he shot below forty percent from the field. I'm pretty sure. It's it's surprising when you look it up. Um, so that's why I think. 
I think he's still going to be really good whether he becomes a good shooter or not is basically what I'm getting at. Uh, I think he'll be really good as well. I just, especially with the way the game is headed, um, and it's also a little bit different for Kidd because later in his career, if he's going to pass as much as Kidd and that's going to be his role, like truly pass first, but I envision him more as a featured scorer, so I would think that you need your jump shot to come along far quicker than Jason Kidd developed his. Yeah, it just depends on how they envision him. Like if they if they actually see him as a point guard, then it's not as important. But I, I mean, the it, the NBA was different back then too. So I mean that that factors in shooter. I mean, right, guys have to shoot more now. Is he there? Isn't he? Maybe I guess you can argue Joel Embiid, but to use him as that type of point guard or envision him like that's the long term path you want him to do is that kid like role. That undersells his skill set. He's already the best scorer on that team. Maybe Joel Embiid will surpass him eventually, but right now, who's the better scorer? Well, yeah, that's a good point. Jaleel Okafor maybe, but he does it at the expense of everyone else, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a point there for sure. Anyway, I think uh, it's a fun thought experiment to just I mean, because he's a hard player to to nail down for sure. Do we have anything else on the Sixers? How much are they going to play Jared Bayless and Gerald Henderson? Random question. Hender- but like- Henderson is weird to me. I I like the Jared B- Bayless signing because they need shooting uh, for sure. But Gerald Henderson is kind of weird. I don't like Henderson at all. because And I don't, I've never heard stories of him being this exceptional leader. And he's not a great passer either. I mean, maybe uh, that, just I a guy who's been bizarre. around helps the young guys. I don't know. I don't know how J. much R. Smith he can play still either. floating around out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd probably take Jr. over Gerald. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know I, I, know I would. Actually, I don't know yeah. if I mean for that team. I'm like, yeah. I'm not sure to the point where he could be a leader. He can definitely be. In, <laughs> he could definitely be in a high character locker room. He's showing that, but yeah. can he be the? Can he be the nucleus of that of that high character locker room? All of a sudden, we're going to wonder why Philly isn't wearing their jerseys during games. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm done on the Sixers. I, I would yeah, think, I, think so. I do think guys' absolute ceiling on them is fine. 25 wins seems um, fair. So should we move on to the division super team? Yeah. Who ironically comes in third. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty safely in like, third, I would say. Yeah, I don't think it'll even be close. No. It, it, are the Knicks that team? Are they even that team? Maybe this is, you can see them being really bad easily. But can you also see them being really good, or is their ceiling like they'll contend for seven and eight, but they probably won't? Is that just what this team? I mean, is? I, I think they're a fringe playoff contender. Who, if everything goes right, it's not that inconceivable they could win like forty-five to fifty games. I mean, if if you imagine that in a new location, Rose starts playing really good basketball again, like he was playing a solid point guard at the end of last season, if Brandon. Jennings is healthy and is a great sixth man if Courtney Lee makes everything he looks at and Kristaps continues to develop and Noah is healthy the whole year. Like It's not inconceivable that the pieces could all work together. It's just highly unlikely because the chances of each of those individual things happening are so low. Yeah, I, I was going to say 45-2 and I agree with you. It's like you got to hit on each and every one of these things for that to happen. But go ahead, Dan. I'm just... 
I don't. Their ceiling is probably forty-five. Their absolute highest ceiling. Anyone who thinks they're going to be in the top three, that that's not their absolute ceiling in the East. It's just it's not feasible. And I am so concerned about Kristaps Porzingis on this team because yeah. it helps that yes, you're playing with Noah, who doesn't necessarily want a ton of shots, but like you're not going to have an opportunity to, to have the ball too much. Like last year was good. There was this nice balance between him and Melo by going the direction of Derek Rose and also Brandon Jennings, you throw that dynamic really off Kelter. So I am so, because the priority for them needed to be him. If you wanted to try and make the most of Melo's remaining days, that's fine. You should have went with a pass first point guard, not Derek Rose, who isn't that great of a playmaker. He passes and gets assists because he has the ball so much but he's not this exceptional playmaker. When he drives, it's to score, and that would be fine if he could actually score. Yeah. And he can't, not efficiently at least, and you can't trust him to kick it out to Porzingis, Kristaps, or even Courtney Lee on the perimeter because this team might function pretty well as a driving kick-heavy team, a pick-and-roll heavy team, but they don't have any good pick-and-roll playmakers. Like Carmelo Anthony is probably the best pick-and-roll passer on the roster still. He's probably the best passer in general on the roster. That's fair. I was really looking forward Noah to... Noah might be the best passer. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I forgot about Noah. Noah is this... Like, that was the addition that I like the most from them this summer. Uh, I think Courtney Lee is good, too, but I think Noah can pan out if he stays healthy. Um, that's a big question mark. But at the same time... Are you saying that completely separate from the price they paid to get him? Yeah, sure. And the fact that, that Christoph Porzingis is best suited at well, choking no That's what bitches. I was going to say. Um, the weird thing about that is, like, my favorite thing heading into this season before free agency was the idea of a mellow Christaps front court um, with Melo at the four and, like, even running some four or five pick and rolls with those two. I think they had a chance to do some really fun modern things on offense. And while I like the addition of Noah kind of in a vacuum, I think it completely spoils all that. He would need to regain for it to to really. It, there's going to be problems on offense because Joakim Noah doesn't space the floor, and you're going to need Kristaps Pr- Porzingis to do that. And he's not yet a league average shooter. Maybe he gets there because he was fairly close last year. Yeah, uh, that's issue on defense. It could be problematic unless Noah or Porzingis shows that they can make these switches like full time. I know Porzingis found himself on some guards last year and held his own but it wasn't too often. And now you're going to ask him to defend power forwards, playmaking fours almost exclusively. And can either he or Joaquim Noah make those switches onto wings and primary ball handlers. So it might work defensively. There's going to be some issues offensively. And I, I, the other thing I was disappointed about is once you got rid of Lopez, which I was disappointed in, Kyle O'Quinn would have worked just as well to Joakim Noah to me. Like at this point, like you bet on Joakim Noah, you're betting on his past. I would rather gamble on Kyle O'Quinn's future, especially considering that he's going to make one quarter of what Joakim Noah makes next year. <laughs> yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah, I'm mostly confused about their backcourt at this point now because Derek Rose and Brandon Jennings are such. Weird fits on the roster, and they don't exactly have a sterling record of health. I, so let's you, say let's say they go down. What do you do then? Then you play Chris Stapps at the one, right? 
Right. That's what I would do. So um, just, my first thought on that is uh, Brandon Jennings is better than Derrick Rose, right? For this team, yes. I don't. If you want to look in a vacuum, there's definitely a debate. But for the Knicks, Brandon Jennings is exponentially better for them. Because I think he Adam is, is shaking too. his head. <laughs> what do you think, Adam? I think Rose is definitely better in a vacuum. I don't disagree with the claim that Jennings is better for this team. Um, I think you could debate in a vacuum, though, that at this point, Jennings is a better player or has the higher ceiling than Derrick Rose. Who else I guess the did... Achilles injury throws you off, but... Yeah. As does the whole never shooting above 40% thing. So getting back to... Shoot. Yeah, I mean, he can hit threes at least. Right. So... I kind of want to get back I, to Adam's I think there's original a debate question, to though. If they're both hurt, so I'm looking at their depth chart now, I assumed they would have had a third point guard, but they don't. So it goes to, like, Sasha Vujicic at that point? Could we not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is I a was... real concern with them because both of these guys have had very serious injury problems the last few years. I think you just play Mendes Kuzminskis as much as possible. <laughs> That's fine with me. I really just wanted to say his name. It's fine by me. I'm glad you got it in there. (laughs) Was there anything? Okay, Bailey said he liked the Joakim Noah signing. Yeah, I didn't mind it. There's nothing. If you had to ask me what I liked about this team's offseason, it was probably the Courtney Lee signing. It's a market-level contract. He doesn't need the ball. He's, He's a little older, but he'll at least play some defense, which is more than we could have said for Aaron Aflalo last year. That, that's the only thing I can sit back and say, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty good decision. And then they <laughs> sign, they have like these, like seeing Justin Holiday on the roster. That's the one that I, I like. Like that, that could be kind of fun. Um, I love that they brought back Maurice Indoor. Yeah, although he was, he was so really much fun bad early last year before the season started. Right. Um, I remember us being pretty high on Justin Holiday in last year's previews, too. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Yeah, that and then he just didn't so play. Well. well, the Hawks just didn't play him. They had yeah. too much depth on the wings it's there. It's not really fair to judge him This on is that. a to- totally different situation for him unless they keep playing Vujicic. Um, yeah, you can't, I can't imagine Guillermo? Hornacek would do that. I would love to see that. Oh, re-signing Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas. And Lance Thomas, I forgot. I think that, that was a really good contract. Like, they capitalized on that, like his injuries for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, will they play Guillermo, though? I really want to see him, too. Yeah. And why, okay is Marshall, Spain. and why is Marshall Plumley on a guaranteed contract? That was a weird deal to me. Because Knicks. That was a very, so, very oh good deal. I'm looking at their payroll right now, and I, I kind of want to move my ceiling down to, like, 42 wins or something. <laughs> The best thing that might be able to happen to them, and I never wish this upon anyone, so I'll give you two options, is either Jeff Hornacek really just pays Joakim Noah like 15 or 20 minutes a night, or Noah gets injured and they're forced to run these more modern lineups. That, that might be the best thing for them next season. Yeah, the 4-5 mellow Chris Depps lineup, could, I, I think that's really difficult to so do. So sexy. Yeah. So sexy. And I think they, Hornacek would be... I feel like he'd be willing to run those four or five pick and rolls. I don't know, though. I mean, I just say that because he was pretty experimental with the three-point guard. Yeah, he was, never con- he was never conventional in Phoenix. Oh, so yeah. I don't think there's any reason to think that he will be here unless Phil, Phil Jackson has totally brainwashed him. 
Didn't Phil say, was, though, that, like, this is the first time we've heard him kind of relent on the triangle when he brought in Hornacek? I don't believe anything he says. <laughs> That's I don't understand anything he says. <laughs> he talks in these, like, veiled metaphors that have no meaning when you dig deeper. And he just, he pivots and he hedges. It, it makes out, like, they were, someone complimented him because he said, we really need to get a point guard this offseason. And then they go and get Derrick Rose. But, like, two months before, he was like, Having a point guard isn't really pivotal to what we're doing. Yeah, it's just that was pretty it's funny. It's a big cluster, <laughs> you know what? So, my, in a nutshell, to kind of put a bow on this, my biggest concern with the Knicks is even if everything else goes right, even if Jeff Hornacek deviates from the triangle, you see Kristaps Mel at the four or five. So much of New York's potential success is tethered to a contract year. Derrick Rose passing the ball in volume. And that he's, makes me, Bailey has talked about, you know, he could be really good if he starts passing, but not, not only is he never really done that throughout his career, he's in a contract year, and we know he wants to get paid. Another so thing he's I, got to prove in a contract year is that he can shoot, which is a scary proposition. But even if he can shoot, I'm not sure how much that actually helps this team if he's not going to be a pass-first point guard, given who's around him. And while he might have the skill, even the vision, and the handle still to become that guy, I'm not counting on him to become that guy in a contract year. I'm just not. I don't blame you. I don't know how much we want to get into this, but are we at all concerned about the fact that he has the civil case for the, the alleged rape coming in the fall? Recklessly irresponsible of the Knicks to trade for him amid that. And these subjects are really touchy. And on social media and stuff, I won't comment on them. Yeah, there's no way we're speculating about yeah. whether he did or didn't do anything. But the, the fact the thing, that the trial is happening. The criminal is, charges were thrown out, right? But that doesn't mean – that doesn't mean, Yeah, I'm it's not, just a civil case now. Here's the dilemma with these things is that you, you, have, you want to hope he didn't do it, but you also don't want to believe that someone would lie yeah. about this. So it just makes it really tough. And I don't know why, if you're the Knicks, if you were to entrench yourself – into this like from just from a purely basketball perspective and there's a bigger issue here than the basketball aspect of it but why are you subjecting your team to this especially given that Derrick Rose is polarizing enough yeah just a as a basketball player yeah I'm, I'm just looking at a, a tweet from ESPN's Adrian Lawrence that says Rose's sexual battery case goes to trial October 1st first day of the preseason oh wow. Knicks could start the season with a PR nightmare if he's liable I yeah, don't know why you would trade difficult him. for sure. Jeez. And, and I'm I'm not trying. You can't comment on the case because we don't know anything about it. But again, it's that push and pull. Is you can't. I saw someone on Twitter who was arguing just because the, the criminal stuff was thrown out or that it was only going to civil court that he was clearly innocent, which is so irresponsible. Yeah. And even if he is innocent, it doesn't change the fact that all of a sudden this off-season timetable happens to coincide with him going to trial and the start of the preseason. Yeah, and he, like that's not really what you want when he's going to be a key piece. Yeah, whether he did it or not, that's terrible timing for sure. Right, so I never would have traded for him, and let alone give up people of value for him for that. I mean, so, Robin Lopez was the best player in that trade. Yeah, yeah, hands down. I think I'd rather have Jaron Grant's future than one year of Derrick Rose with the looming threat that the Knicks are going to give him a five-year max deal. <laughs> that bugs the hell out of me, and that's what makes me uneasy is – I was hoping Russell Westbrook wasn't going to sign an extension with the Thunder because you look at him and you even look at Chris Paul next summer, uh, just looking at where they are in their careers in, in Los Angeles. Will Blake Griffin even want to stick around? You could see 
I think you could have justified maybe these stars, unlike every other star over the past half decade, might be legitimately interested in the Knicks. And now you take one of them off the table, you're tethered to that Chris Paul pipe dream uh, or a Kyle Lowry pipe dream, and it just makes it more likely that Derrick Rose is going to come back on our four- or five-year max deal, and that's just really uncomfortable for me as well. Just accept the reality of your Derrick Rose-led Knicks, Dan. I won't. I will. (laughs) I'm just... Again, I'm not even of the mind like they're either going to be a train wreck or, or just awesome. I, I feel like they're either going to be a train wreck or mediocre, which is the worst type of gamble to make. <laughs> yeah, that is tough. That's really tough. Um, um, I don't really have anything else on the Knicks unless you guys do. Who, who's next for you guys? Is it the Raptors or the Celtics? We this didn't really is, talk about Yeah, this is tough for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer. I'm just, thinking I'm putting Raptors. the Raptors for me. Yeah, I'm putting the Raptors number two as well. All right, let's do that then, because I don't really, I don't really lean one way or the other. I think my issue with the Raptors is that they were really good last year. I'm not sure how much better they got. Uh, the, think, we've, we've talked about this hole at the four forever, and Jared Solinger is not the ideal solution there. I mean, no, he played, we're talking about a guy who can't really shoot from the perimeter, but likes to shoot from the perimeter, who prefers to play with his back to the basket, and is this bruising interior presence that isn't going to work well with Jonas Valanciunas. So. If you're hoping that this team improves, it's solely internally because Damari Carroll is healthy, because Norman Powell is amazing, because DeLon Wright is suddenly going to play a bigger role, because Caboclo might be ready to contribute at the NBA level. So it's hard for me to get that excited about this team. Two things. Caboclo is now only two years away. <laughs> um, or and is he... He's actually zero years away from being two years away. He's one year away from being one year away. Okay. That's more okay. efficient. Um, and... I think, like you said, the Damari Carroll uh, thing is is big because it's it's almost a free agent acquisition for them because while they got him back in time for the playoffs, like he was working his way back from injury, and if you can use him at the four, you're fine. I also think they should use Jared Sullinger as a backup center. The Celtics played him a lot at center, um, and ju- simply because he shoots better than 20% or 25% from three or from long two range – that will help them space the floor, which is big because you like to see Corey Joseph, DeMar, and Lowry drive. So I, I think that's where their, their ability to tread water and slightly improve comes from. The, the I just thing think about that, though, is how, you can't really trust Dwayne Casey to make those decisions that you just laid out, though, right? Why? I mean, there's no way. Didn't that he make them in the playoffs? Like he was... I thought he did a super good job of managing the rotation last year. I feel well, like he did a good job of managing the rotation. That doesn't mean he showed that much creativity with his lineups. That's kind of what that's, I was getting at. I, I don't remember Damari Carroll ever really moving over to the four, but maybe I'm just misremembering that. Well, you had the I would say, unless you guys just consider this like under the duh umbrella, like he played Damar with Corey Joseph and Kyle Lowry. He played Kyle Lowry and Corey Joseph in the backcourt. I thought those moves that were good. good. He yeah. rolled. He rolled with Bismack Biombo when Jonas Valanciunas, even when he was healthy, was considered better. And that might be his, the team's biggest deficiency now is there's no way for Casey or any – who's going to replace Biombo on that roster? Nobody. Like, what is it? Noguera? I mean, I'm grasping it. I was talking to Adam about this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what the trade was, but I said, like, give the Timberwolves Terrence Ross and a first – for Gorgie Dang and have him be your Bismack Biombo. Uh, is that enough to pry Dang away from the Wolves? He's 
pretty good. I would give more for him, but I'm just I'd give him Podol too. I don't care. He could be Pekovic's best friend. <laughs> the Podol the Podol draft pick was so weird to me. I think I, they just went with like best, best player available. Pay. Yeah, but you're not uh, best player available is great for a team that needs like a good backup at any position or a team on the rise. Not like a team that's trying to get over the hump and has a distinct weakness. Okay, that's fine. But can't you also argue, though, that this team, maybe while it didn't address the biggest need, which was covering for Biombo's departure, they can put together like a blockbuster deal for a wing or a yes. power forward if they become yes. available. And you can't say that about a lot of contention level squads. Well, plus Norman Powell is going to be a star. <laughs> I can't tell you deadpan to that. Are you being serious? No, I'm, t- I'm totally serious. <laughs> I think he's become one of my favorite younger guys in the NBA. I mean, a guy who's completely accepted his role as a lockdown defender and is also showing that he can blossom in the offensive end. Like, I think he could legitimately become one of the league's best 3 and D guys. I don't That's, disagree. I mean, I, I, my biggest concern for him, like watching his breakout last year as a rookie, was can he really hold his own defensively when he's 6'4 on shooting guards and small forwards, and he did fine relative to DeMar DeRozan, who was terrible, and Terrence Ross, who's only okay. I thought he was fine. I really liked him. Let's, uh, I want to um, hang on to that point on DeMar DeRozan. Just sort of a general feel. Um, I kind of, I mean, they had to bring him back, right? But he's, I don't, I don't love him on this roster. I might not love him on any roster, but that's just me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like when you, when Adam starts talking about Norman Powell, I'm thinking in two or three years, or maybe even in like one or two years, he might make more sense at that spot than DeRozan. Is that crazy? No, no, not at all. But DeRozan's contract, especially now on this cap climate, isn't untradeable. And I think as loyal as he's been to the Raptors. And all this community that Toronto has built, you love it. Like, Masai Ujiri is not above just signing him so that he didn't lose him for nothing and then flipping him later. That, that's, yeah. a, that's someone you could move if Powell breaks out, hands down. DeRozan's really weird because he's really good and he's not good at the same time. Like, there are very, <laughs> there are very few players who can replicate what he brings to a basketball team. You know, the, the pull-up mid-range jumpers that he makes – the the ability to to serve as a volume scorer and get to the rim a lot but because of the way he plays like the team is unquestionably worse when he's on the court i mean yeah. 6.1 points per 100 possessions worse last year with him playing in the playoffs that was still 4.8 worse he's not a good fit but he's still valuable even though he's not valuable like he's he's just weird it is you know really what i'm saying weird. like yeah. he's a really good player who doesn't fit ideally on his current team and who would need a very specific situation to yeah to, if he was like a 14 or 15 point per game scorer i think maybe it would make more sense so but then you have to replace that scoring elsewhere on the roster and i'm just not sure anyone else can do it acquiring a, a star power forward they're gonna do that yeah i mean i i'm i'm about ready to give up on valanchunas's development into like a superstar big man no, he's not gonna. He might continue to grow, and he made some strides. He made a lot of strides as a pick and roll finisher last year, if I remember correctly. And his defense was better than it has been in years. He's past. not going to be a scorer. No, that ship has sailed. But I think you could still move him. Look at his contract, and this is why I like the Raptors is because if this doesn't work, if this roster isn't improving, or if it's struggling to tread water, 
you can pivot very easily and in an encouraging way. But I do think the Celtics are just better overall, as I said like eight <laughs> times. <laughs> I mean, um, I would love to see them go after someone like Blake Griffin. You know, trade. See if you can trade Valanciunas and DeRozan to the Clippers for Griffin and something. That would probably make uh, that would make no. Why I mean, you've DeAndre why would the there already. That, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I said and something. You, you'd have to throw in a young player or a draft you'd, pick. You'd have to give Powell for sure. But I don't even think the Clippers would be interested in young players unless they think Chris Paul is leaving. In which case, maybe DeRozan. That's a trade that might make sense. Uh, might make sense over the off season or at the trade deadline if the Clippers are underachieving and they think Paul is going to leave. Oh, I'm well aware this is a harebrained idea and it was just totally off the top of my head. I'm just Paul Millsap. I'm thinking of ways, yeah, I'm thinking of ways that they can Millsap get was great power forward, let Poidel come and be the starting center and get Powell into the lineup. Millsap I, is one that's been like floated around on the internet, right? Can we not? Can we not? <laughs> by, me, by me and I was viciously killed for it. What um, would, but, uh, I don't once what would Atlanta want back from Podol, I'll admit, once that pick turned into Podal, their chances of putting together a good package deteriorated. But if the Hawks don't want to re-sign Paul Millsap, and it's clear that they're not going to be a top-four Eastern Conference team by the trade deadline, the, the Raptors, if they wanted to, could be really aggressive and put together a better package than most for Paul Millsap. But that's not going to happen because Atlanta is going to be a top-four team. But that's... A discussion for another time. I agree, but would they, they still shopped Al Horford while contending for a top four, four spot yeah, last yeah. year. I don't think they'd be above doing the same with Millsap. Um, so what do we have the ceiling then since we're, I guess, deviating here? What's the ceiling do you have for these Raptors in terms of wins? I think right about what they were this year, you know, 55, 56 I wins. Say. I was yeah, going to say I'm fine with that. I could also see them taking like, a small step back, kind of the way Atlanta did between uh, fourteen, fifteen, and fifteen, sixteen. Like I could see them dropping down to like high forties, fifty. Well, I mean, yeah, we we have them as the number two in the division. Yeah, I, I think that's the most likely outcome. I think that if the pieces do gel, then you could see them replicate this last year and go back to being number two in the East. Yeah, um, I, I do think it's probably a toss-up. It's clearly going to be them or the Celtics. If you're looking at teams that could really challenge them. I'm, I'm not there on the Pacers. Uh, the Hawks have to pretty much reinvent their entire identity to make way for Dwight Howard. So it's I clearly think, between those teams, right? Well, I think the Hornets, too. For two? Are you talking about a team to challenge Cleveland or just to get to two? No, to get to two. To get to I, would, two. I would not be shocked if Charlotte made that jump with a healthy kid Gilchrist in the lineup. I think... I like yeah, Charlotte, I, too. I don't... I, I, this is a lot like last year where it seemed like there's just this wide open mess of nine or ten teams that could you could throw them in a hat and pull them out and who knows where they'll finish. <laughs> I think Cleveland's locked in at number one. I think Boston's a a pretty good bet for number two, and after that, it's yeah. just kind of whatever. I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if like Milwaukee worked their way up into that conversation. Yeah, I, I'm high on them, but I was high on them last year, so who knows. I will not be high on them until they either bench Greg Monroe indefinitely or trade yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. They did sign Jason Terry, so we can expect uh, a Bucks trophy tattoo or no? <laughs> yes, I hope so. Why not? Yeah. Um, yes, he only leaves us with one more team. Yeah, go ahead. 
Who? Which team? <laughs> Atlanta. Uh, sorry, Boston. Yeah, the Knicks. Boston. <laughs> the Knicks are going to finish first and third in the division. <laughs> That's what super teams do. <laughs> um, I worry. My first thing with the Celtics, aside from being excited that they got Al Horford, which I think we pretty much all saw coming, I'm really worried about whether they're going to miss Evan Turner a lot for what he did defensively. I do have faith in Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, but I think if they do drop off, his absence may be the biggest reason why. I do not have have faith in Jalen Brown, but go ahead, Adam. I just have so much trouble seeing any sort of backsliding from this team because they definitely got better in the offseason. If you're looking at a bunch of young players who are going to be more comfortable playing with each other and just getting better, like I love guys like Jordan Mickey on this roster. Um, you're adding Jalen Brown. Uh, you're adding Al. Terry Hall. Rozier. Yeah, Terry Rozier. Ben Bentel. Um. <laughs> Fun aside, Isaiah Thomas pretty much told me that he thinks Terry Rozier is going to break out this year. So I, I guess that means he's going to actually play. It wouldn't surprise me. Like I, I think I like every single player on this roster except for RJ Hunter. I feel the same except for I like Hunter over Young. Oprah That's James fair. Young. That's, I think I'm just assuming James Young isn't even going to make the roster. Yeah, yeah. I almost don't know if either one of those guys will. Yeah, is, but I mean, uh, Gershon this team Young. just replaced Solinger with Al Horford. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Um, uh, I just I, hope they play him at center enough. I know I, he's probably going to start with Amir Johnson, and maybe he's still the center in that scenario. But Al Horford, despite rampant. Twitter ignorance over the past half decade or so is a mother effing center. But the thing is, it doesn't even matter on this team because he can play with Kelly Olenek. He can play with Amir Johnson and Jarebko and Mickey. Like any combination of those big guys is going to work. It's kind of similar to what we said with him on Atlanta last year, where as many front court pieces as they had, you can, you can make arguments for any two man combination of them to work. That's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I totally Steve, agree that Horford is a center, but Brad, Brad it Steve matter. Small. That's the other thing. Brad Al Horford might if if he decided to play Al Horford at small forward, I'd probably trust in him just because of Brad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's their best lineup? Where you're the one that you're most excited to see? I like for I me. Like, I don't know what the first three would be, but I like a four-five Jay Crowder Al Horford combo. It's clearly smart. Bradley, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Al Horford, right? Yes. I would probably be on board with that, yeah. Yes. Or their presumed starting lineup of Thomas, Bradley, Crowder, Amir Johnson, and Horford. That works just fine for Solid me, too. too yeah. That lineup could end up being a defensive beast. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas is the only guy who won't be the better and Thomas isn't a terrible defender anymore. Like He's no. not big enough to thrive in isolation or anything, but he's, he's quick, super though. active off the ball. He reads passing lanes really well. Like, if you can force the ball out of a point guard's hands with that lineup, he's going to be great. And he's, he's good at guiding, like, them where they need to be. Like, if he, like just the way the Celtics kind of sometimes wall off, like, before the paint, like, he, he sort of guides and, like, when he cheats to that side. So I like... He plays, like, a, like, smaller Steph Curry defense, which is a compliment. Yeah, that's fair. Why do you not like Jalen Brown, Andy? Um... I, I just always have a hard time with guys, and this is going to like be the opposite of what I said earlier when Adam asked me the question about shooting, but I'm always scared. 
I'm really scared by guys. We like who to can't wait shoot. at least one podcast to contradict ourselves, Andy. <laughs> yeah, guys who just we'll are terrible shooters in the college level, they scare me. And I know that I know that um, anyone can get better, but I think I also agree with Dan when he said that you know, for every one guy that actually does, there's a bunch that don't, and that just it's a little That's bit fair. scary. That's fair. I he's just so smart, or he seems so smart. That I like Marcus. about him a That's lot. That's <laughs> well So I, I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm like super excited for him. I, I understand where people think they might have been reaching for him at the three, but if you look at, especially with Evan Turner leaving, uh, and what they like to do defensively, he just makes a ton of sense for this team. But yes, a, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just agreeing that I am also scared with people who yeah. cannot shoot, as you guys know. I have a question about Al Horford, um, and this Adam might be the best suited to answer this because he's a Hawks guy. Um, do you like the version of him that takes three threes a game and is kind of away from the rim all the time more, or the old version that does a lot of the same things, but it's just a little bit closer to the rim? And which one makes more sense for the Celtics? I like both of them. I don't think I, I, I like I'm serious. I don't think I have a problem with either one. Yeah. On Boston, I think you're going to see more of the version that stays around the rim because it's just a schematic thing. Like Mike Budenholzer liked to have him away from the rim because he didn't really care about rebounding yeah. on either end of the court. And Brad Stevens has given no indication that he feels the same way. Uh, and I so I, I, play, I think you're going to see him there more. I think you can, like, if you're playing him with Kelly Olenek or Jonas Jerebko, then those guys are the ones who are out of the three-point line space yeah. on the floor. But then if you're playing him with, uh, if it's a lineup where you have, like, Jalen Brown at the four, you have Amir Johnson at the four, that's where he sticks on the perimeter because those, yeah. I mean, especially Johnson is your rim runner. I guess the answer is he can do both, which is Exactly, nice. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really nice luxury to have, especially because if you play him in more of an interior setting and all of a sudden he's popping out, for one or two threes a game, then that's going to catch a defense by surprise more. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know what to expect from him. I would think just based off the way, or I guess in terms of how they're going to use him, my guess would run contrary to Adams. Just looking at how they use Jared Sullinger, looking at what Al Horford has turned into, I would expect to a see him. Threes. Yeah. And especially when you me. have some of their perimeter guys aren't the best shooters. Like, Crowder's about average, but we can't we can't guarantee he's going to be average. Jalen Brown um, isn't going to be average his first year, probably. So my guess would be more threes, but it's well, so tough to predict because he can do both versions of himself so well. well I think, the, I think the difference between this and Atlanta is that when he was running pick and roll sets or pick and pop sets with Jeff Teague, Teague isn't the greatest off the dribble shooter. He prefers to get into the lane and throw up floaters. Isaiah Thomas is a great off-the-dribble shooter, so I think that you're going to want Horford rolling to the rim more and staying on the interior to open up those shots for Thomas. I guess it kind of depends on what lineups then Stevens gravitates towards, just because you're going to, if he plays with Amir Johnson a lot, like that has to be Amir Johnson's role. Uh, but if they're going to, again, if he's going to be the center and you surround him with four guys who can shoot, then I'm just interested to see what way the Celtics go I mean they played fast last year and small so that's what I guess that's where you're 
theory holds weight. I'm knocking things over in my house right now. So to make a long story short, Al Horford is really freaking good and can do anything. And versatile, yeah. Like that's the cool part about this is you can go either way within one game and like go either way multiple times. Do you know what's not cool? Al Horford doesn't have an official nickname. <laughs> is that uh, according to basketball reference? Yes, that's my official nickname source uh, in basketball. Some reference. of basketball references' nicknames are amazing. <laughs> yeah, some of them I've never heard before. He was born Alfred Joel Horford Reynoso, though, so that's cool. Not a nickname, though. <laughs> no, but technically Al Horford is a nickname, then. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Can we call him, like, the butler because his name is Alfred? That's not bad. If you can get that to catch on, kudos. <laughs> and just because he seems to serve whatever style he's, that yeah, he's like we need a, him to play. He's also like, just like Kevin Durant's the servant nickname. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> that was I thought that was horrible. Wait, who was that? Kevin Durant wanted to name himself the servant, oh, right? Yeah. It was him. Slim Reaper is still my favorite one. Yeah, I don't think anyone's like that. Opposed to, right? It's because he hates the I public. I think he's come out and but, said that he doesn't like that one, but it is by far the best. I'm just going to refer to him that exclusively now. This is the last time I will speak Kevin Durant's real name. <laughs> it's going to be like um, a Washington Redskins thing. No, just the I, only, I try team. to only say and write Washington now. Yeah. Do we have a ceiling for the, the Celtics then? 83. Ooh, that's bold. Is, am that's, I, that's Warriors territory right there. 55 too high for this team. I, I'm, I'm leaning toward 56, 57, but I'm wondering if, if I we're going to go with a nice even, it'd be 55. I was going to say 55. I, I guess I'm a little higher on them than you guys. I was going to say they can get to 60. No, they're not getting to 60. I, I think their ceiling is higher than the Raptors, who That's I, why I, I, I want to go with 56. I'm going 56, 57, just to make a point that this team is better than the Raptors. Was there 60, a... think that you've been tripping acid. <laughs> hey, you never know. It is an off day. How many 50-win teams were in the East last year? Was it... Just Toronto Two. and Cleveland? Was that it? Yeah. Toronto and Cleveland. Then we had the Heat, the Hawks, the Celtics, oh, yeah, and the Hornets were all 48. Yeah, that's right. There's, um, is there gonna, are there going to be 350-win teams in the East this year? I say yes. Those, those Boston, Toronto, <sighs> yeah, and Cleveland, I guess? Are. Yeah, I, think, I still think Charlotte could get there. Well, and look at how close everyone was. Like, the Heat yeah, clearly true. dropped out of the I mean, the Pistons probably. were only six games away, and they got better. Yeah, they'll be better. Yeah, I'll say three. Is it inconceivable that all eight playoff teams could win 50 games? Yes. You would have, have to have your non-playoff team really bad. Yeah. Yes, um, all right, so let's to, – to, I guess – well, we don't have to wrap it up. But here, can we go playoffs or not for the Knicks since they are the only team that's on the fringes? We're going no for Philly and Brooklyn. Yeah. That's um, for Boston and Toronto. I'm going to say no for New York. I'm going to definitely say no for New York. I'm saying no, too. I actually like the setup of their roster last season, even though it imploded, uh, better, uh, better than the makeup of their roster this season. Just I think there are 10 Eastern. teams that are clearly better than the Knicks. Yeah, I was just about to rally off. I, I'm looking the at the eight Eastern playoff Conference teams, right the now. The Wizards and, and the Bucks. Yeah. Um, Even I'm not Orlando convinced. might be better, right? I'm not convinced. Yeah. I'm not Chicago convinced. could, too. Chicago, yeah. I'm not convinced Miami will be there. I'm not convinced Orlando will be there. I'm not convinced the Bucks will be there. But, but the other seven not, playoff teams. 
It's well, all I'm saying is that it's right. Like it's possible that yeah. any of those teams could be better than New York. You can't. I don't yeah. think it's on, it's outside the realm of realistic possibilities that New York could finish 13th again. No, I think that the only two teams you can guarantee that they'll be better than are the Nets and the Sixers. I'm willing to listen to arguments uh, for the for the Magic. Just because that that roster could fall on its face. Same yeah, here. It's a weird, same here situation. And I think you can say the same about the Bulls. Oh my God! Yeah. I can't wait for the Central Division preview. <laughs> <laughs> that team's might be even weirder than the Knicks. It's almost like star power doesn't guarantee wins. <laughs> it's almost like the novel Bulls theory almost, here. Well, it's almost like the Bulls and Knicks don't know what star power is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that a good too. The recognition is not the same as Star. <laughs> At least the Knicks, the Knicks will probably sell more tickets than a lot of the Eastern Conference teams. I'm looking at their ticket prices. I can guarantee that's a fact. Like they went down? No. Oh, okay. they went up, which just means that means they're going to sell a demand. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that means since we've beaten the Atlantic Division to death. I guess that would mean it's time for bacon, bacon. Where's the bacon? I smell bacon, bacon, bacon. Gotta be bacon. Only one thing smells like bacon. That's bacon. Yes, that's right. It is the return of Burns My Bacon, and Adam Fromell is going to take us away from its brief hiatus. Yeah. So with the Olympics going on while we're doing these previews, it's kind of a shame that one of the biggest stories from this like celebration of international unity and athletic accomplishment has been Ryan Lochte and the three other swimmers who allegedly destroyed property, urinated over a gas station, and lied about being robbed at gunpoint. The the whole situation is bizarre. Um, it it doesn't make any sense. It it makes the United States looked pretty bad on an international stage, um, but the way that the way that it's written about in conjunction with some of the other stories we've seen during the Olympics is ridiculous. You know, Lochte is he's 32, first of all, but he's a kid. He deserves a break. You know, he just got too rowdy, as opposed to Gabby Douglas, uh, the 20-year-old black gymnast who didn't put her hand over her heart during the national anthem and needs to fix her attitude. You know, the contrast between those two scenarios is ridiculous and pretty telling about where sports media and media in general is still in 2016. I, I totally agree. Um, I don't <laughs> – this whole thing is just weird. I don't understand the reactions to the national anthem type stuff. Like if we're supposed to be this – like if we're supposed to emphasize individual will, like who cares? Like even back to the Dwayne Wade stuff when people made us think about it uh, in Canada, I thought that was just way overblown. I think like this world that we live in um, where everyone feels like they have to be hypersensitive about everything all the time is just driving me crazy. Like there's never been um, a rule written down on paper somewhere that you have to put your hand on your heart when you listen to the national anthem. Like there's a lot of different ways that people do it. Um, and you know, whatever she wants to do, that's, that's her choice. And the other thing that's weird is I agree with you about the Ryan Lochte stuff. Like, um, just really strange the reaction that he's gotten as opposed to, you know, some of the other freak outs that, that we see in today's culture. It's just, there is definitely a little bit of a, of a juxtaposition there. It's, it's kind of weird. 
This is a direct quote from Rio 2016 spokesman Mario Andrada. This is hilarious. Let's give these kids a break. Sometimes you take actions that you later regret. They are magnificent athletes. Lochte is one of the best swimmers of all times. They had fun. They made a mistake. It's part of life. Life goes on. Let's go. That's ridiculous for so many, so many reasons. Um, Because what they did isn't just like making a mistake and part of life. Like, I don't know about you guys. I've never gotten mad at anyone and urinated all over a gas station. Like, that's just, that's not part of my life. Um, I understand if there are people out there who feel differently. And the fact that we're, we're saying that because they're magnificent athletes and one of the greatest swimmers ever, that their actions are somehow less significant than normal people's. Like, that's another thing that I have a problem with. He also, it sounds like, falsified a police report, right? Like he, yep. he lied to police. So that's a pretty that's a pretty big deal. I I do think that there was probably being in a foreign country, there was probably some level of confusion. And I think um, the nonchalance with, with with which some people are approaching this wouldn't bother me as much uh, if we weren't also talking about the national hand over your heart thing like if that could have just been thrown away but on the lofty front uh i don't know if you guys read ben Rohrbach. i don't know if i pronounced his name right at yahoo sports put it perfectly when he wrote is it possible a quartet of intoxicated swimmers vandalized the gas station bathroom urinated on the walls outside returned to their taxi and thought the security guards who demanded money from them at gunpoint were actually policemen sure it's possible yeah. but that would mean they also conventionally left out details about destruction of property and public urination from their accounts and then he wrote is it possible brazilian authorities are looking to make an example of american swimmers in light of public criticism of the rampant crime in rio even if that means turning a blind eye to security guards holding four olympians at gunpoint and demanded restitution sure that's possible too but that line of thinking would excuse lochte and co from acting like drunken you know what I thought that, that was, is, that was just, yeah, that's it's a great perfect. line. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, the whole situation's unfortunate. Um, I think the last thing I have to say about it is Lochte went to the University of Florida, so I'm not that surprised. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, man, talk about a blanket statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm a UGA guy. I got to get it in sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, disclaimer, Adam say- is a UGA guy. The last thing I'll say on the front is talking about this really just reminds me of how much I don't want to pronounce his last name as Lochte. I just read it like Locked all the time. Don't ask me why. I don't want to say Lochte. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, on that note, uh, I think we're done with the Atlantic Division. We're done with Burns My Bacon, and we're done with this episode of The Hardwood Knocks. Uh, If you want to follow any of us on Twitter – uh, you are more than welcome to do that. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favale, D-A-N-F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox, um, which Dan attempted to resurrect with some trivia. I think we'll, we'll try and be a little more active with that. Um, as always, follow us on on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. You can find us at any of those spots. Give us a rating. Give us a subscription. We'd really appreciate that. And I know that Bino Udri would too because uh, we end every podcast with a shout-out to Bino Udri. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. 
I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.